0: All right. Thank you. Thank you for your flexibility this morning. Um, Happy New Year to you. We're excited for these Friday afternoon prayer meditations, and our students are ready to go. We just gathered with them in, in one room, had them all in one place, and it was just a great spirit. They're ready, ready for the semester, and we're excited to have them. Uh, our prayer meditation is from an amazing story in Second Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, so please feel free to turn there with me. And we're going to encounter a dramatic and somewhat infamous account. I suppose we could summarize this story with the title, Uzza, the Ark, and the Good Lion. All right? And as we read in 2 Samuel 6, I'd like to keep a, a probing question in your mind, if I could. It's a question I heard mentioned by an older brother at my church, and I think it's a good one for us. He asked this, Am I growing in my love for all of God's attributes, his totality? Or just the parts which seem convenient to me? Do we really love God for who he is? Do we love him as he's revealed himself? Or are we conceiving of a different God? Which is a scary thought. Let's read about Uzzah, the ark, and the good lion. Verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of the host that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even harps, salt trees, timbrels, cornets, and cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Azah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of God come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So, what is this story about? What is the point? Is this a story primarily about God's judgment, his holiness, his cruelty, perhaps? I'd like to propose that if we really look at this story, we will see that this is a surprise story of grace. I see three reflections that can help us think through this today before we pray. First reflection is that God's presence changes everything. First and Second Samuel, if you know your Bible history, reveals a couple things about salvation. First, the people of God were in need of a leader and a vision. They were in need of a king. And as this book unfolds, Samuel, we as the reader begin to think that maybe David could be the answer to this problem. Maybe he is the one who would reunify the kingdom and bring back success and victory. And and we're not terribly far off. If you were to look at chapter five, just a chapter before, you would see some paragraph headings like, David unites the people, David reclaims Jerusalem, David defeats the Philistines, and he was actually coronated in Hebron, and some of the Psalms talk about this. So so it appears to be that God is blessing David, and he's blessing Israel once again, and in many ways he was. However, more than simply receiving and enjoying God's gifts, the Israelites needed God's presence itself. And of course, in, in those days, God's presence was represented by the ark of God. That was the physical manifestation of the dwelling place of Yahweh. And fact, if you look at verse two, it says the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So King David in this chapter, even at the high point of his influence, he is successful. He's doing well. It is a godly influence as he stands in contrast to Saul. He is not enough. He is no Messiah. And, and to prove that, Samuel writes something kind of interesting. As he talks about David commanding the ark to be carried back on a new cart, he actually references how the Philistines carried the ark in 1 Samuel chapter 6. The Philistines were ignorant and disobeyed, and David did too. So the Israelites, and you and I, don't just need God's victories or His gifts; we need His presence. That's the first reflection, and God's presence changes everything. Second reflection: God's holiness is consuming. God's holiness is consuming. Of course, verses six and seven. This is the point of conflict in the story, right? We see Uzzah reach forth his hand. He discovers God's power and His holiness, and I like to think in in cross, in touching that ark. Uzzah crossed over from what is finite and dependent into what is infinite and burning and white-hot and glorious, and his life was taken. So what do we know about God and his holiness surrounding the ark? Well, Exodus 25, Numbers 4, there's a couple passages that explain it to us. The short answer is that God's holiness was not to be taken for granted. In fact, there was a long process— mandated by the Lord as to how the ark was supposed to be carried. It involved covering it. It involved the priests washing themselves. It involved putting gold rings on the side, a specific wood to be carried with, acacia wood. And the sons of Aaron, the Kohathites, they were the ones who were supposed to carry this ark on their shoulders. Even though the New Testament worship doesn't include all these details, we should get the point here. Nobody casually interacts with God. We don't do that today as we pray. God is holy, and his holiness is consuming. Remember how the Israelites first got these instructions on the Mount of Sinai. What's interesting is that the writer of Hebrews picks up on this imagery, and he says in in chapter 12, that actually in the new covenant, we are brought closer to Sinai, not further away. We're brought closer to God in his glory. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Reverence. The closer you get to God, the more your reverence should grow, not less. I talked about a good lion. Here's how C.S. Lewis depicted this idea in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Asked Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So Uzzah is punished. Mankind and God cannot casually interact. Interaction must be on God's terms. Actually, the verse that says he was slain for his error, that word is is other places translated as irreverence which I think is helpful. God's holiness really sets him apart. God's presence changes everything. God's holiness is consuming. And third reflection, God's grace is surprising. God's grace is surprising. How can this, how can this be? Well, by looking at the first couple verses of this chapter, we see that it was not just David. It was not just Uzzah who is carrying this ark. There's actually 30,000 people walking with them in this parade. And verse 3 and 4 actually list some of them by name. Take a step back. We have already seen God's expectations. And this whole parade is, in a sense, disobeying his word. David failed to walk in all the ways of the Torah, and Israel was with him. This failed the Lord. So what should have ha- happened, I ask you? Well, all transgressors should have been punished, and God would have been perfectly just. But let me ask you, what did happen? The Lord extended grace to many of these people, despite their failure, whether it was out of ignorance or willful pride, he still comes to Jerusalem to dwell with them. And even more than that, the, sec- the next chapter, chapter seven, talks about God dwelling with them forever. Chapter seven, look at verses 15 and 16. I, I love this. Verse 15 says, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I had put away before thee, and thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. I think when David heard that that word of mercy in verse 15, he may have thought of Uzzah. He may have thought of his own sin. But but God's grace is surprising, and it gave him a second chance. What a second chance. So the Lord keeps on blessing through chapter 6 into chapter 7 and to David's house forever. So we serve a gracious God. And I think these three reflections bring us closer to a right understanding of God. We crave his presence. We fear and respect his holiness. But friends, we can constantly be cheered and strengthened by by his surprising grace that he shows to us. I hope that that can direct us as we pray today to this amazing God.